Good morning and welcome again to Two Rivers Church. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 3. We have, uh, we're in our third week of a series that we've started. We're going to work our way all the way through the book of Judges. And today we're going to introduce the very first judge over Israel. And if you need a Bible, just raise your hand. We have some Bibles. Uh, if you want to follow along or pull up uh, Judges chapter 3 on your Bible app, uh, let me just mention and just celebrate with you. Uh, we did get word this week that Aaron and Kara, mostly Kara, did deliver uh, their baby girl. I'm going to wait and let him introduce her officially, maybe show a picture when he gets back. But we're so excited for them and glad uh, for that to have happened this week. And so if you, uh, if you see them, I don't know where you would see them. Eventually, you have to go like to Walmart or something, you know, like, uh, but just next time you see them, just congratulate them. It, really excited for them. And, and I don't know if you've noticed, but we're starting to fill up. Um, we're starting to get more peanut butter and jelly. Um, that's something we do through the month of February, a way to love the world that we live in and our community. And um, let me just show you one of the things that we've asked people to do is kind of be a, a home drop off location. And somebody, um, let's kill the fr uh, stage lights maybe for a second. I told her we weren't going to do this, but. I want to be sure you can see this um, video. This is a doorbell cam of somebody's home drop-off. Somebody's sweet neighbor brought over some peanut butter and jelly, and they caught it on their doorbell cam. Isn't that, isn't that something? It also reminds you to be careful what you do when you walk up to somebody's door <laughs> because you are being recorded sometimes. <laughs> But we still got a few more weeks. Uh, we're trying to um, collect 1,000 peanut butter and 1,000 jars of jelly and give it to RCS to be used in our community. And um, if you haven't started that or if you'd like to, I was looking on actually on Amazon this week. And I think what we're going to do is just have a, a case, maybe a case of each, um, sent here to the church. And um, if a few of us do that, we'll get there pretty quickly. So um, raise your hand if you've ever been to, if you've ever heard of, or maybe if you've ever been to a Bucky's. Anybody here been to a Bucky's? Wow. <laughs> see, I was going to say Bucky's is becoming a phenomenon in our culture, but I think you see the excitement. It's a cultural phenomenon. If you don't know anything about Bucky's, it's kind of it's like a, the largest convenience store you can imagine. Most of them, I think, are on uh, just off an exit uh, on an interstate. It's kind of a cross. Here's the way I describe: it. it's kind of a cross between Disney, Walmart, and Family Dollar. That's kind of the way I look at it. It's Family Dollar because the amount of stuff they have in this little convenience store. It's not little, this big convenience store. It's Walmart because people roll out of their cars having been in the car. No matter what they're wearing, they just come on in. Kind of like Walmart. You ever seen that? And it's kind of Disney because they have like characters walking around. Here's the Bucky character uh, at one of the Bucky's. And so, um, kind of like Mickey Mouse, you know, and they're building them all over. I heard this week that they're going to build one somewhere out um, just a little bit west of Raleigh, uh, out maybe in Burlington area. Uh, a few weeks ago, some of our staff went to Savannah, Georgia for a leadership conference at a church down there. And on the way, uh, I think it was in Florence, South Carolina, we stopped at a Bucky's. Now, I will say this. They do have pretty good beef brisket, so if you do stop, um, that's it. That's it's it's really good, and they have nice bathrooms. Yes. If you're into that kind of thing, you know, um, they have pretty nice bathrooms. I don't, not necessarily those two things connected in any way, shape, or form, but it's an overwhelming sort of sensory overload. There are about a hundred gas pumps at each one, and just as many bathroom stalls. It feels like, and I think their goal. I, I've kind of figured out Bucky at this point. I think their goal is to get you trapped in there. Um, 
Whether it's the amount of stalls in the bathroom or the amount of beef brisket sandwiches, you walk around, all of the stuff, you get something to eat. You, ha- you have to eat because you're in there so long, right? Um, and when we left, I couldn't figure out how to get out of the parking lot. Now, parking lots in general confuse me, right? Like if I need to go that way to get out of a to go where I need to go, typically to get out of any parking lot, you have to go this way first. You know what I'm talking about? Like here, this is literally South Carolina, uh, Florence, South Carolina. So that's the interstate up there at the top of this picture. And um, this is Bucky's. And we parked kind of on this side of the Bucky's. We didn't need gas, so we just went in to check it out. And to get out, you have to go all the way over here. And then not only that, like, I still can't go that way. I've got to go here. And then they threw a roundabout in the mix. In the parking lot, there's a roundabout. And I just generally got stuck. Like, I got in the Bucky's orbit, and I couldn't get out of it. <laughs> and I just, I'm, I'm pulled by the gravity of Bucky's. It's like you, you drive in, and because of the distractions and because of the confusing and overwhelming, you forget how to get out. And it can be certainly overwhelming. Now, there is a point to that. Today, we're in the third week of a study uh, through the Old Testament book of Judges. If you remember, Judges 1 and 2, along with the first part of chapter 3, comprise a sort of a double introduction to the book of Judges. And in that twofold introduction and summary, the author shows us that Israel continually failed. They failed to drive out the idols of their land where and then there was this tension between God and Israel. Uh, it was, there was a tension between God and, and his commands, but then also his loving and faithful promise to never leave or forsake Israel. See, God had promised Israel that he wouldn't leave them, but he's also a holy God who demands Israel to be faithful to worship him and worship him alone. So as a result of this tension, Israel goes into this pattern, and you'll see this throughout the book of uh, Judges, into decline caused by their their idolatry, uh, by them going off and worshiping the the idols of the people groups around them. And then eventually they cry out to God, and God brings revival and his saving mercy. And what we're going to see throughout this book of history is the redemption cycle. God continually humbles Israel because of their sin, but he then delivers them from their peril. He never abandons them, but continues to work for their growth. So let's jump into the third chapter of Judges and meet this first judge. Judges chapter 3, starting in verse 7. It says, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. So it didn't take Israel long uh, after Joshua's death, to forget about Jehovah God and begin to worship the pagan gods of the Canaanites. Baal is the god worshipped by the Canaanites and the Phoenicians, and it was, he was believed by these ancient civilizations and cultures to give fertility to the womb and uh, life-giving rain to the soil. He is pictured as standing on a bull, and he was a popular symbol of fertility and strength. The storm cloud that is his chariot, the thunder is his voice, and the lightning, his spear and arrows. And the worship of Baal also involved sacred prostitution. There were things that they would do in the idea of worshiping Baal that had to do with sexual immorality and sometimes even child sacrifice in some cultures. 
Asherah was associated with the evening star and was the beautiful goddess of war and fertility. To the Greeks, she was Aphrodite, and to the Romans, Venus. And the worship of Asherah involved extremely lewd practices. So you can see why God did not want Israel um, to get involved in this type, this type of worship, right? These, the, Israel's then finally did um, give in the worship of these pagan gods, and the text says that God's anger was activated. Look at verse 8. It says, The anger of the Lord burned against Israel, so that he sold them into the hands of Cushan Rishashim, king of Aram uh, Naharoim, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. So Israel disobeyed God. And God allowed them to be defeated. And as we've talked about, you know, God will allow you to go where your heart wants to go. If you want to sin and move away from God, if you want to worship the things of this world or the, um, the images and the idols that we, uh, that we still have, God will allow you to go that way. It's not his desire. It's not what he wants for us. But God will allow you to go. And he will allow you to be defeated. In this case, very directly defeated by their enemies, right? They were overtaken. And the leader responsible for this first specific instance of Israelite oppression is uh, Kushan Rishathaim. And he rules Aram, the Hatharim, which is a modern-day Syria. If you want to know, kind of put this in a, a pin on the map. So this eight-year oppression caused Israel then to cry out to God, Right? They go their own way, they get involved with these pagan nations, they get overtaken and then put into oppression, they're oppressed by these people, and then they cry out to God, and, and God always responds. And that's what we're going to see throughout the stories here in Judges, this cycle of oppression and then Israel crying out to God. Look at verse 9. It says, but when they cried out to the Lord, he raised up for them a deliverer, Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother who saved them. So Israel, in their oppression, cries out to God, and God responds with leadership. The first judge God provides is Othniel. Now, let me make this connection. Othniel is the younger brother of Caleb. Remember the, you remember Caleb? Caleb has come up several times throughout the, uh, Israel's history. He, he and Joshua were the two good spies. Remember, 10 were bad, 2 were good. They brought back a favorable report to Moses as Israel scouted the promised land of Canaan. In Judges chapter 1, Othniel has already demonstrated his leadership ability after conquering uh, Kiriath Sipher, and he represents sort of the last of the righteous leadership of the old generation who grew up under Moses. Most of the, that generation, Joshua's generation, uh, has now passed. But there are still some like Caleb and Othniel. Verse 10 says, The Spirit of the Lord came on him and so that he became Israel's judge and went to war. The Lord gave Cushan Roshathiam, king of Aram, into the hands of Othniel, who overpowered him, so that so the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So the text is pretty clear. Othniel's position as judge is determined not by Israel, not by the people, not by um, a vote or a ballot, but by God. 
right? He appoints him for the task of leadership in Israel. And it says the spirit of the Lord came upon him, which is an indication of God's sort of temporary empowering of the spirit for a specific task. Now, this is the first of seven times we're going to see this happen in the book of Judges. These spirit-empowered tasks include leadership or emotional motivation or acts of physical power. In the case of Othniel, God empowers him to, to lead Israel, not only in battle, but also in peace. I think my favorite part of this passage is in verse 11, where the text says that the land had peace for 40 years until Othniel's death. There's not a lot said about Othniel and his rule, but 40 years of peace speaks volumes, doesn't it? It also occurs to me that he comes from a godly family, right? I'm, I'm going to assume that he was raised by godly parents. Both he and his older brother Caleb are faithful men of courage, people that we should look up to, aspire to be like. And that ushers Israel into the, the years of judges' rule in Israel. And in the next few weeks, we're going to hear even more stories of these leaders of Israel, some you have heard of, like Samson and Deborah and Gideon, but some maybe you haven't, uh, like Ehud and some of the others. This morning, though, I want us to lean into verse 7, because I think it can be easy for us to kind of look back um, with all of this time that has passed, and we read these stories in the book of Judges, and I think we can kind of look at Israel's history of falling away and think, what in the world were they thinking, right? Like, it's easy for us to look back and be judgmental about their lack of faith and then falling away and then being brought to repentance. It's like Monday morning quarterbacking, right? Like, did anybody watch the Super Bowl? Did you guys know the Super Bowl was on last week? Okay, a few of us did. So it's easy to wake up Monday morning and say, well, why didn't San Francisco just keep running the ball when Kansas City could not stop McCaffrey, right? It's easy. I could, have, I could have won the game for them. Just keep giving McCaffrey the ball. He was running all over them. Or why can't San Francisco keep an extra point from being blocked? It's the simplest play in football. Why would San Francisco take the ball first in overtime? Why wouldn't they give... Kansas City the ball first so they know what they need to do. And then one of the worst decisions of Super Bowl 58 was Usher on roller skates. That was just a poor decision <laughs> on his part, right? And then maybe even worse was he took his shirt off. But it's easy, right, to look back. I, I could be a professional football coach if it, if it had to do with Monday morning, right? I, I know exactly what to do after the fact. And I think sometimes we look at Israel, and we say, man, they were terrible. They just kept falling away and falling away. It's easy to see their issues while ignoring our own mistakes, isn't it? It's easy to look back and see the faults of Israel, think about what bad decisions they were making, but what about our own bad decisions? And that's kind of what I want to bring us to this morning. Verse 7 says about Israel, they forgot the Lord their God. In the Bible, Remembering and forgetting have spiritual significance. Psalm 25, 6 says, Remember, Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. The psalmist asks God to remember, right, his mercy and love. And then in the very next verse, says, Do not remember the sins of my youth and my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me, for you, Lord, are good. 
God, please remember your goodness and try to forget all my mistakes. I mean, I think that's sort of a natural sentiment, isn't it? I have said to people that I've known a long time, I I hope you remember and think about me now and forget about the 20-year-old version of me, right? Don't we all want to grow away from who we used to be and allow, allow people to know us for who we are. And, and sometimes we get stuck in who we used to be. God, please remember your goodness, but try to forget all my mistakes. Though Israel knew who God was and what he wanted, those things were not real to them. Somehow there was a disconnect. This is a, the spiritual problem that we have today. What we know with our heads isn't always real in our hearts in our whole self. Tim Keller writes, we may acknowledge intellectually that something is true, but in our heart of hearts, it does not grab us or penetrate us or control us. So the reason that the Israelites and us continually needed revival was because truths about God, which were once vibrant and real to them, eventually became unreal. All of the things that God did leading Israel out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and into the wilderness and providing for them and the, um, the thunder on, the, on Mount Sinai and the law brought down and the conquering, what conquering they had done under Joshua's leadership, Israel had forgot all of those things. They only saw what was right in front of them. And without leadership, when Joshua died, they went out and became like their enemies. I can remember when I was a kid living about six hours north of here, sometimes it get pretty cold in the winter, and I remember seeing a bucket of water. Anybody remember this? And in the winter, and the top layer would be frozen over. And that's a a perfect picture of kind of the way we get. There, There was still water in that bucket, but you had to break through that top layer of ice to get down into the water. Our hearts sometimes are like that bucket of water on a very cold day. Our hearts freeze over unless we regularly, regularly break through that ice that forms. Though we know the truths about God, we can easily lose that sense upon our hearts and the reality of who God is in our lives. That's why biblical faith includes more than just believing, it also includes trusting. Believing engages our minds. We make a decision about what we believe, but trusting engages our hearts. Israel knew that there was a God, but their hearts became disengaged. They forgot about God. Growing up, I had friends who were a little older than I was who had muscle cars. Let's see his picture, first picture of a, a muscle car. Uh, nope. <laughs> No, that, the, first one, the first one was my car, and then I had friends, I literally had a little car, who had something like this, a Chevelle. I think that's like a 1970 Chevelle. And um, now the stat, those were status cars. When I was growing up, if you had a muscle car, that meant you were, you were pretty cool. You were in the cool class of people uh, in my high school. And uh, now the status, I think, are hybrids and electric cars, right? But um, I remember riding with one of those friends, he had, and he hit the gas and it threw my head back against the headrest. Those eight-cylinder engines had power. And see, engaging our minds but not our hearts is like revving the engine of an eight-cylinder muscle car but never getting out of neutral, right? We've got the power. We just never engage, and we lose the power of faith when we never step out and trust in God. 
Our prayers sometimes indicate that disconnect. We pray for God's presence in difficult situations, but we rarely pray prayers of repentance, trusting God to bring healing and forgiveness. We think to ask God for help in times of trouble, but we rarely have broken hearts for what offends God. The remedy is to reverse our heart forgetting. In other words, the remedy is for us to remember. The New Testament, Peter writes in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 5, says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. So Peter urges Christians to to grow, right? Grow in character and goodness and knowledge, self-control, godliness, to basically grow in love and all those attributes that point to God. Verse 8 says, For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you can, we understand these things, but sometimes we're ineffective, right? Unproductive because we just have head knowledge. These things will help move us. Grow in these qualities, and you'll not be ineffective around the park. If you want to be your best version of who God wants you to be, who God created you to be, work on these things. And here's what happens if you do not, verse 9. Whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Now catch this. Peter doesn't say that if you do not have these qualities, it's because you're not trying hard enough, does he? It's because you've forgotten about what God has done for you in the past. If you're not growing in those things, if you're not becoming more of that list of uh, good things, right? Knowledge and self-control and perseverance and godliness and affection and love. If you're not growing in those things, it's not because you're not trying hard enough. It's because you've forgotten where God has brought you from. You're not engaging your heart. Isn't that Israel's problem? They keep forgetting. They forget where God has brought them from. And they're in this foreign land, and they have these other people groups, and they think things are going better over here than they are in their own cities and towns. And they want what somebody else has. They've forgotten that God had brought them to this place. And we do the same thing. We forget. So Peter says in verse 12, so I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth that you now have, I will always remind you. Peter knew that the Christian and Christians in his day were, were a lot like Israel and a lot like us. They needed to be reminded. If the forgiveness and salvation of Christ is real to you, then you're going to live that out in your character and in your life. But you need to be reminded. You need to be reminded of what you already know. You need these truths to work in your heart as well as being understood in your head. You've got to connect the two. So this morning, I want to just give us a little bit of making sure that you remember, right? One of the things that you'll hear if you've been around or if you stick around here at Two Rivers is our mission, to love God, love each other, and love the world. 
Our, our mission is designed to honor God, but also to move each, of, each one of us to a, a deeper devotion to God, to help us remember. They're set up as reminders. How can you make sure you don't become like Israel? Forgetting God and giving yourself to the influences around you. Not getting stuck in the orbit, right, of the things and the lures and the traps around us. Like you can't get out of Bucky's. Let me give you these three reminders based on our mission as a church. First of all, be here on Sundays. Be here on Sundays. We design our Sunday gatherings with a focus on the first part of our mission statement, which is to love God. Each week, we encourage you to turn your heart to God in worship. I so appreciate Aaron and the worship team that leads us every week, that helps us focus, right, our hearts on God, to worship God for who he is. It's a great reminder. When we really, truly worship God, we stop thinking about our own wants and needs. We remember who God is and how wonderful and powerful and who he wants us to be. We come together weekly, and our focus is to worship God. As a part of that worship, that loving God, Jesus has given us a visual image of what he has done for us. Each week, we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. Jesus says in Luke chapter 22, do this in remembrance of me. Don't forget. It's a reminder. He's telling us that this picture, this meal is his way of continually renewing, continually reminding us of the reality of the gospel in our hearts. So being here together each week, is, it's like a reset button. It's a reminder for us. So as you sing songs of worship, as you enjoy the community of others, as the word of God is preached, as you participate in the Lord's Supper, as you, we pray together, all of these elements are designed by God to help you focus on him instead of the distractions around us. I don't know about you, but I need to be here. I love being here, but I need to be here. I need that reset. I need that reminder weekly. And our Sunday gatherings are designed with a focus on that first part of our mission to love God. Let's just really focus on him. It should always first and foremost be about God. Let me give you another reminder. Get into a small group. We design our small groups with a focus on that second part of our mission to love each other. As much as we love the community that we feel here on Sundays, there's a deeper level of belonging that we can get in small groups. It's more intimate. We recognize that each of us need more than what we get here on Sunday mornings. Sunday mornings is kind of a quick reset, kind of in, leave, we go back and enter. It kind of helps us focus on this coming week. But we need more than that. And if you haven't realized that yet, what I think you will realize, maybe with this help this morning, is that uh, if you're struggling to get here on Sunday mornings, not, not like physically I can't quite get here, but I mean like you're just at your spiritual end, your tank's on empty by Friday and Saturday, Maybe you need something else in your week, a reminder that's, not, uh, that's connected with some people who are going through the same things that you are. And as much as we love the community, we, fear that we need something deeper. We recognize that each of us needs something deeper than we can get here on Sunday mornings. Jesus said in John 13, they'll know you're my disciples if you love one another. Interesting to me that Jesus didn't say, they will know you're my disciples by the bumper stickers on your car or camel or by the T-shirts you wear 
I love a good t-shirt. I love our new Two Rivers t-shirts, but that's not what's going to show the world that we know Christ. They'll know you're my disciples by the Christian opinions you post on social or by the hundreds of other ways that we try to prove outwardly that we're followers of Jesus. No, Jesus said, the world will know you are mine if you love the people right next to you. Now, we're certainly supposed to share the love of God with the world, but it starts with the family of believers. How can we reach out and love the people around us if we can't look next to us and love the people right next to us? And we hope to be that, a family for you and for your family. And with that in mind, let me give you one final reminder to serve others. It doesn't stop with just us. We can't just... Um, sort of cocoon ourselves in, in this holy little place, in this bubble, we have to reach outside of that. You cannot say you love God and you love your church family if you're not willing to love the people around you. It just doesn't make sense. Once we get our hearts in tune with loving God and loving our church family, then we can move our focus to loving the people around us. I just believe that if you do these three simple things, and that's how we're going to be successful as a church. If, if we all buy into loving God by showing up here on Sundays and worshiping him and resetting, by getting involved in a small group where not only can we be encouraged, but we can encourage somebody else to keep going, to not give up the fight, and then reach out with love and concern to the people around us. If you can do those things, you will be reminded of where God has brought you from and where God is leading you. You will not forget what I believe you know and believe in your hearts, but we tend to wander, don't we? We tend to get sucked into the orbit of these other peripheral things in our lives that don't focus on God. We just need consistent reminders to live the way he, we are called to live. Love God, love each other, love the world. A few years ago, our family was worshiping with uh, Bonnie's family at her home church in Washington. And uh, I remember there was a row of teenagers that sat near the front. And just, as, um, just before the communion time, I noticed that a parent, one of the parents came up and sat in an empty seat on that row with these teenagers. Now, I had been a teenager in church right, growing up, and I kind of knew, what, I thought I knew what that meant. It meant somebody in that front row was cutting up or um, talking, and this dad wanted to be sure. He didn't make a scene. He was just going to sit up there and make sure to remind them to be quiet. I, I had it all figured out, and I was kind of watching as communion sort of unfolded. I had seen that move before, but I was actually wrong. As I watched the communion service unfold, I noticed that on the other side of that parent was an older gentleman who had cerebral palsy. You see, the teens were not making a scene. This father had just moved up into uh, this seat next to this friend who had trouble with that little small cup and that little small piece of bread. His, his hands didn't have the, enough dexterity. And I, and I watched him take that bread out of the communion tray and put it on the tongue of his friend. And I watched as he took that little cup of juice and he reached over and helped him take a sip of that juice that represented Christ's blood. And in one simple act, 
I witnessed worship. I worshiped community. And I worshiped someone serving someone outside of themselves. See, each of these elements move us toward God and away from the orbit of this world around us. Oh, that we would dedicate ourselves to love God, love each other, love the world, and that we would not forget our God in these confusing times. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for how much you've loved us, that you sent your son, that he gave his life, that we could be called out of um, this confusing and uh, this world of... um, that is so anti you, Lord, and into your wonderful presence and light. And Lord, while we know these things, sometimes our um, make it make it hard for us to continually follow. So Lord, I just pray that today you would connect our heads with our hearts, the things that we know with the things that we do. Lord, help us not to just believe, but also trust you. That we might not forget. Lord, help us to be here to worship together as a reminder. Lord, help us to just simply get involved with some other people, small group, or help us, Lord, to serve others outside of ourselves and love the world around us, all reminding us of where we've come from. And, Lord, out of, out of our just sincere love for you, we respond by loving you in return, loving each other here, and loving the world around us. God, I just pray you help us in that, that we might not forget, that we would always remember that you are our God. We pray this in Jesus' name.